My name is Gage Henry, and I have to be the opportunity to be the college and community pastor here. And I'm expectant and excited for this morning, but I have to welcome so many of you. Some of you, this is your first time here. I just want to say welcome. We love that we have these opportunities to actually encounter a living God who's moving and active. And uh, so welcome. And if you've been here a hundred times, we know that God can move at any moment. Like this could be the day that you didn't see coming. This could be the day where you finally understand who God is. This could be a day where he does something significant. But I also have to welcome back a specific group of people, and that is our ACC youth team. Welcome back, ACCU. So they've taken over this whole section over here, which is why we had to scoot in, but it's awesome. They're over here together. They just got back from a week-long camp called Tides, and they... Uh, <laughs> I need this energy all service. This is going to be great. Um, all right. Thanks, Chad. Um, well, I'm expecting and excited that y'all are back, but um, I wanted everybody else to get a window into kind of some of the things that happened that weekend. So I have a video that I want to show you. And I wanted y'all to see that, not the edited, cool version that will be on Instagram, but this is what it's all about. It's about an authentic, real expression. And this is the Jesus generation that is growing up right now. And so we believe that this is so important and so significant that we would definitely want you to plug in. So if you have any questions, our youth team would love to meet with you after this. But I'm believing that this generation will be a generation that says, here I am. And that's the series that we've been in. If you haven't been with us, we've been in a series called Here I Am, where we've been looking at every single moment in the scriptures where God calls somebody and they respond by saying, here I am. It's Hanani. It's behold me. And God calls all of these different people specifically by name. But today, we're going to look at something that's a little bit different. Today's call is a lot different. And as we read it together in just a moment, I want us to make sure that we know we're about to step into the throne room of heaven. See, what's amazing is in some weird way, shape, or form, I don't understand it fully, but God has revealed himself through the word of God. And because of that, he gives us two visions into the throne room of heaven. What is most true about God? And it's in Isaiah 6, and it's also in Revelation 4. And this is a moment for us where we are truly transformed by the vision that we see. So we're going to be looking at the story of Isaiah in the call, but I believe that once we look at this scripture together, you will be able to see who God is. So the title for the sermon is Who God Is. Who God Is. Go ahead and tell your neighbor who is God. Say who God is. Is anybody happy to be here? I feel like we have a bunch of smiling faces today. This is going to be good. We're about to get into the word of God together, and I actually am going to do a Bible drill in just a moment. But if you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 right now, we're going to do a little bit different kind of Bible drill. You can turn. And I'm believing that the words that we're about to read right now, this is crazy, but you could have an encounter with heaven. You could actually see God for who he really is. I know a lot of opinions are about who God is, but we're about to see what his word says. This is what he's revealed to us as the supreme nature of his being. 
So hopefully that's enough time. We're going to read it. It's in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. If you're there, say, I'm there. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. And with it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. These are some of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible. This is the gospel in eight verses in the Old Testament. Think about this. As we speak right now, as you're listening to me right now, there is a God who is seated on a throne, and his whole robe is filling the temple, and there's smoke radiating from his presence, and there are angels, these these seraphim things that that are flying around singing one song, holy, holy, holy. This is what is happening right now, and what I'm suspicious of, and I know is true, is that half of you zoned out while we were reading that. Our minds can't even fully comprehend the majesty and the glory that is filling the whole earth because God is holy. And it's something, i got to be honest, I don't really necessarily want to talk about. It's not the most exciting thing to talk about, the fact that God is holy. But here's what I've seen. It might be more exciting for me to talk about the problems of the world that I've seen or that you've seen. How about let's talk about what do I do as a believer during Pride Month? Or what do I do about the killing of unborn babies? Or what do I do about Ukraine? What do I do about the mass shootings that seem to be happening every single week in our country? What do we do about the inflation in our country? What do we do about the racism in our country? What do we do about the anxiety epidemic that's happening? That half of the young people that you see sitting over here are struggling with mental health issues, and so many of them are taking their own life through suicide. What do we do about the anxieties and the fears and the struggles and the problems and all the things that our world is full of? I believe they're all from one root problem. It's called sin, but it's also because we have a low view of God. God is holy. We've been running from the fact that God is holy for too long. That is the greatest news that you and I could ever hear. And so if you want to know what I believe is the root of so many symptoms of a broken, lost, and dark world, it's because we have a low view of sin, a small view of God, resulting in a self-centered world. See, when I say that God is holy, some of you might recoil away from that because of some baggage maybe from your past or some church times that you've gone and you thought, God is holy, I just feel regret, I feel shame, I feel uh, anxious about it, I don't like it. But the fact that God is holy is great news. God is holy means that he is set apart, he is different. 
He is without error and he is without equal. He always was and is and is to come. He was not created. And the fact that God is holy is actually what provides the opportunity for him to be fully loved. So if you think about it, he is holy, which is the fully encompassing reality of who he is. It means that you have love because he's holy. It means you have mercy because he's holy. It means you have grace because he is holy. This is the God that we serve. And here's what you need to know. God is not the God that you think he is. Or God is not the God that I think he is. God is the God who the Bible says he is. And this is something that's so hard in our world to reconcile. Okay, if God is holy, what does that mean for me? If God is holy, what does that mean for us? Because the reality of our sin is that we have a default position. Self-preservation, self-protection, self-defense. It's why so many of us call God unjust for just punishing sin. Or we call him unloving for giving us how we're actually meant to experience sex or marriage. Or we call him hurtful for bringing to light all of our secrets. We even argue with him about his word as if it could lie to us. And what I see happening so many with the people I get to deal with and people I get to meet, we end up projecting our wounds onto God instead of ascribing him wonder. See, what happens is, is that I make God in my own image instead of receiving the identity from God who made me in his image. We project everything onto God. Aversion because of sin is tainted. And so I'm just in believing that what we're about to see in this scripture, and we're going to go back through it in a second, is that the holiness of God is the best news for you today. The fact that God is holy is so good. And the gospel begins with the fact that God is holy. If you want to know the gospel, a lot of us skip. We jump straight to Jesus saved us. But you don't know what you're saved for until you know what you're saved from. And there's this reality of the fact that God is so holy and glorious and mighty. So this is the, the gospel, and I'm going to put it on the screen so you guys definitely know from our church what the gospel is. It begins with the fact that God is glorious, that God is holy. So the gospel begins with the glory of God. But because of that holiness, because of that, he's created us to be holy like that, but because of sin, we are broken. So there's the lostness of man. And because of that sin, now there had to be a sacrifice to atone for the sin. Here comes the mercy of Jesus. And this is where we always start. The gospel begins at point one, not point three. The mercy of Jesus, who's paid the price for us. So now we can walk in the newness of life. And now we live on mission for the kingdom forever. That's the four points of the gospel. So now I want to do a Bible drill because I skipped it. So if you have um, your Bible, you can go ahead and hold it up. Put your finger in there so you don't lose your spot. But I want to do something a little different than I normally would at this time. Um, we do this because we want to make sure that we hold up the truth of Scripture at our church. But this is also an opportunity for us to kind of identify what's most important. And I know, I know your arm's getting tired. Hold it up. Um, but I want to give you an opportunity. We're the church. This is a community. This is a safe place. This is where people pray for you and fight for you. So if you would just want to participate in this, you don't have to. But if you would say, this year has been one of the hardest years of your life, you got news, something happened, you got a diagnosis. If this year has been one of the hardest years of your life, and you want to be vulnerable in this moment, would you just leave your Bible up? Thank you for, for being bold. In fact, I just, I just want to pray for you. And if you see someone like this, just extend a hand to them. Father, I just thank you that we have a church where we can be honest about what's really going on. Father, I thank you that you're the God who sees. You saw every single Bible that was just raised. And even that little act of courage and boldness and obedience 
was not wasted. Father, I pray you'd comfort where you need to comfort. You'd relent where you need to relent. You'd show mercy where you need to show mercy. God, we thank you that you're holy. In Jesus' name, amen. We good? Let's go to Isaiah, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So if you just raised your Bible up, this is the year you didn't see coming. In the Bible right here, we're reading the story about Uzziah. You need to know this. Uzziah literally means strength. He was a king for 52 years in Judah. He was the king that reigned over peace and prosperity. He was the king that all of them looked to for protection. And now he's dead. In the year that King Uzziah died, everybody would have known this is the year of massive uncertainty. This is the year of anxiety, of fear. Who is going to protect us? Who is going to be on the throne? And this is the year for you you didn't see coming. And it says what? Isaiah saw the Lord. In the same year where the king died, Isaiah saw a king who will never die. He saw a king who is alive. And I love what he sees. He sees a king who is high and exalted, yet he's seated. See, this king that he sees is not running around trying to make PR statements. He's not running for a political campaign. He's not figuring out how to manipulate outcomes. This king, this one true king, this sovereign king, this king of kings is seated on a throne running the whole world. His whole earth is full of his glory. So I don't know about you, but maybe the year that you didn't see coming was the year you saw the Lord. And maybe for some of you in this room, this is that year where you're in a season where you're like, I would not trade in on my worst enemy, but maybe I'll see the Lord. Let's go to verse 2. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. So if you think about this, there's this moment happening. What are seraphim? Seraphim are these beings. They're not angels, they're beings. And they're holy. Seraphim just means fiery ones. It means they're burning with the glory of God. And they cannot even look on the face of this Lord who's on the throne. But in this moment, they're covering their feet. Why? Because it's holy ground, just like Moses did. And they're flying. But I love that it says the robe filled. The robe filled the whole temple. So I had the opportunity uh, yesterday to officiate a wedding. And weddings are uh, just an honor for me to be able to be a part of. And there was this bride as she walks down, and I always think about the fact that that's how Jesus sees us, the bride of the church. So the, the guy next to me is bawling his eyes out like every good wedding, and I see her walking down, and she had this long train. In fact, the longer the train, is actually the longest one, is known as the royal train. It symbolizes royalty. And so I have a picture of one just to make sure you know. This is the royal train. This is also my mom. <laughs> had to have that chance. Look at that 80s hair. That's nice. Um, but there's a train that goes down. What's interesting, this picture hangs up in my house still to this day, and I've talked about this before. My mom is fighting cancer. She was in the middle of a hospital all week, actually. She's been fighting. She doesn't look like this anymore. But you know how I picture her? Like this. And God gives us a picture of himself. And when he says that, I know for me, I just skipped right over it. The robe that filled the temple, great. What he's saying is that he is royalty, he is glorious, and that is the picture of himself. And that is why the seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy. Look at verse 3. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
So what you need to know is holiness or the word holy is said over 637 times in the Bible. It's only said three times twice, both in the throne room of heaven. In Isaiah chapter 6 and Revelation chapter 4, it means that holiness is the word that God uses to describe himself more than any other word. Why? Because it fully encompasses his glory. So what is glory? Glory is just the secret of revealed holiness. It's a weight to it. It means a weight to the fact that he is holy. It means you can see it. You can feel it. So his whole earth is full of his glory. Go, just go look at a sunset or sunrise. The whole earth is full of his glory. But what does this say about who God is? Holy, holy, holy. A lot of theologians believe this is a reference to the Trinity because he's a triune God. They're having a conversation with each other. This is a triune God that we follow. And I'm going to wait for Miles to get back to explain what the Trinity is in just a second, but um, just kidding. It's really hard to understand. It's really mysterious. Three in one. But a lot of us, I think, have a false view of the Trinity. And if you were really honest with me, it would look like this. God, the angry father. Jesus, the sweet friend and savior. And the Holy Spirit. That weird uncle that shows up every now and then makes you feel weird. <laughs> makes you feel some stuff. And you're like, was it the Holy Spirit? I'm not sure. Um, this is honestly how we view God. And the problem is, is that we know that God the Father is holy, and we know the Holy Spirit is holy because it's in his name, and we have a holy Bible, and, but we forget the fact that Jesus is holy. Jesus is holy. And that's really important that the song says, holy, holy, holy. You know what it doesn't say? Love, 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 or mercy, 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 or grace, 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 or truth, 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 or wrath. Wrath, wrath, it says, holy, holy, holy. Why? Because perfect love cannot exist without pure holiness. There is a purity to someone who is holy, set apart, different, other. And perfect love finds its existence in holiness. So think about this. A lot of us, this is, we've disconnected the love of God with the holiness of God without even realizing it. Just help me finish the song that we sang. I sing to my son all the time. Jesus loves me, this I know. All right, nailed it. Um, Jesus loves me. That is not a bad song at all. But it's also not the song that was sung in heaven. It's not love, love, love. And here's why that matters. Here's why holiness matters. It's because if it's Jesus loves me, over time and over time, we start to do this, where we start to say, Jesus loves me, Jesus loves me. So I'm important. So he serves me. He exists to serve me. I need to get more money. I need to get the right job. I need to get the right spouse. Before you know it, then when that doesn't happen, you doubt his love. And on the flip side, a lot of people who have walked away from their faith, they've been told their whole life, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. Okay, then, then why did I get abandoned? Why did I have to go through this hardship? Why cancer? If Jesus is love, why did he have to die? And this is so hard to understand. It's very mysterious. But the fact that God is holy is the best news ever. You know why? Perfect love exists because of the pure holiness. And this is what's good. The fact that he is holy, it means he can only speak life. It means he's only good. It, mean he, it means he's only love. And because he is holy, he can be mercy. He can be grace. He can be truth. He can be joy. He can be peace. He can be patience. He can be all of these other attributes because he is holy. God is holy, and this is how he's revealed himself to be. 
And so when a holy God is met with Isaiah, an unholy man, something has to happen. And Isaiah feels it. Verse 5. Woe to me. I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. This is so important. But in seeing God, Isaiah saw himself. He saw who he really was. He was guilty. He was wrecked. He was ruined. We had a sermon series called Wrecked by Grace. It was preached a few years ago. It was based on this passage. And until you are ruined by your sin, you cannot be wrecked by the grace of God. Until you are ruined by your sin, until you're, I'm guilty, I'm undone, until you realize the weight of your sin before a holy God, you'll never be able to receive the mercy that is available in him. And so I was, one of my favorite stories that I've heard kind of talking about a king, I love looking up different kings, and there was a king called Frederick in Prussia in the 1700s, and he's ruling, and he goes to visit a prison in Berlin. And as he arrives at this prison, he's walking through the halls, and all the prisoners are banging on the gates and on the bars, and they're saying, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, pardon me, I was framed, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. And finally, he gets to the end of the hallway, and he sees a man who has his head in his hands, and he looks undone. And the king is surprised, and he says, are you not innocent like the rest of these? He says, armed robbery, I am guilty. And the king kind of smiles and smirks and looks at the guards. This is the king. He has all the power. He looks at the guards and says, quick, free this guilty man before he corrupts all of these innocent prisoners. <laughs> you can look it up. It's a true story. If not, it's a great sermon illustration. But <laughs> this moment happens. And what is the qualification to be free? Acknowledging the guilt. What's the qualification God wants from us? What happens? We have to acknowledge our guilt. Jesus has one word for it. It's called repent. It means to turn from your old way. And our king is very similar. The king that's seated high and lifted up. So I just got to ask you the question. When was the last time that you were ruined by your sin? When was the last time you were wrecked by it? You felt sorrow for it. You were upset by it. And if you can't think of that or you can't identify it, it's because sin is blocking you from even seeing it. But if you need, if you need another question to help you identify it, it's this. What would you not want anyone to know right now? What would you not want anyone to know? Like, I'm just going to pick on Chad because I saw him over here. Like, I have to ask Chad right now. Chad has to stand up in front of all of you and say what he doesn't want anyone to know. Don't actually do it. But uh, <laughs> if this happened, right, any one of you, if I called you out and told you to do that, You'd be so embarrassed. You'd be like, no way am I saying that in front of all these people, right? What happens is Isaiah is now standing before pure light. He's standing before pure truth. He's standing before a holy God. And his only response is what is true and honest about himself. I am guilty. I am undone. I am ruined. But then for us, we need to know what happens when the unholy person meets a holy God. God has two options. And these are the ones that I don't like talking about as a pastor up here. But God has two options, a holiness meeting unholiness. Option number one is to consume whatever is unholy in a word called wrath. 
Two options. He can consume what is unholy in his presence because he's holy. And that separation of the holiness of God from the unholiness of man is what we call hell. Hell just means a separation, a separating of the fact that a holy God, not because he's angry, not because he's mean or mad, he's holy. He's pure. So he separates, right? That's number one. But option number two is where the good news of the gospel comes in. Because he can either consume what is unholy or he can remove what is sinful. You know how he does that? Through sacrifice. The only way to remove what is sinful is to provide an alternative, a sacrifice. And let's see what happens with Isaiah, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, God has just made an unholy man holy in his presence. You know my favorite part about it? Look at between verse 5 and 6. What does Isaiah say? Nothing. He doesn't even ask for it. He doesn't even say, God, save me. God, save me. I know I'm not supposed to be here. And all he says is, woe is me. He doesn't ask for the plan of salvation, just like you and I didn't ask Christ to come. See, before you were even born, God initiated the plan of salvation for you and for me. Before you were even born, before you had breath in your lungs, before you could even speak, before you could even hear, God could snatch that breath right out of your lungs right now. He's that holy. But for some reason, you still have breath in your lungs. And the plan of salvation that he initiated is still unfolding in planet Earth. And you right now still have the opportunity to come back to the throne room of heaven. Because he has paid the sacrifice, just like Isaiah received the sacrifice of what? The live coal that burned his mouth. See, the living coal in the Old Testament represents the living Christ in the New Testament. What happens? The coal comes and it burns away, it purifies, it cauterizes the lips and it cleanses the lips, so now he can be holy. You need to know this. Our lips, actually, as Jesus says, are a reflection of our heart. So out of the mouth, the heart speaks. What, he, what I'm saying is that Isaiah, when his lips were cleansed, his heart was cleansed. And so that's why Paul in Romans 10 tells us, we got to confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord, so we will be saved. This is the good news that God made a way before you even asked him to, through sacrifice, and just like Isaiah, we have the same response. 2 Corinthians 5 says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And now Isaiah responds in the only proper way. He's cleansed before a holy God. And he responds in verse 8. Check it out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, here am I. Send me. I want you to notice this is the most unique call of any of the here I am calls in the entire Bible. Why? They're not even talking to Isaiah. You see that? It says they're talking to each other. Whom will go for us? Whom shall we send? And Isaiah has just been cleansed in the presence of a holy God, but now he's about to be commissioned in front of it. This is a moment that's so powerful in the fact that what are the qualifications for him? Availability. Who is God seeking? Anyone. Who shall go for us? And Isaiah now has the confidence, because he's holy, to step up and say, here am I. Send me. See, when you live a holy life, it actually prepares you for your call 
and for your commission. It's actually required of you, but it requires a cauterizing of your lips. It requires the hard pain of working through the process of your sin and seeing God for who he really is. So I got three points real quick as we turn and try to turn towards God and live from a posture of who God really is. Point number one is this. Let God turn your worries into wonder. Let God turn your worries into wonder. Think about this. This is all about sight of what you see. In the year that King Uzziah died, in the year where I was so worried, in the year I faced something I never saw coming, in the year that has been so difficult and I was so worried, in that year I saw the Lord. That's what Isaiah says. And here's what I know about our church. Our church has lost wonder, but also our church has been consumed by worry. If I went around to each one of our stories that are represented in this room right now, you probably have good reason to worry. We have good reason to worry, right? No, no, no. How do you replace the worry? With wonder. We have to seek God for who he really is. Jesus said it this way. We are like seed sown among thorns. We hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Even as I speak right now, this is opportunity. Well, you're going to choose this God that you're reading about in the Bible, or are you going to continue to choose your way of life, your worries of life, the deceitfulness of wealth, other things? You have that option. God who is holy gave you that option. You can look at a holy God and say no. It's crazy. But in his love, he gave you that choice. We have to let our worries be turned into wonder. Why? Because if our eyes are fixed on the worries of the world, we will miss the wonder of God. If our eyes are fixed on the worries of this world, we'll miss the wonder of God. I think about when I was in elementary school and my dad came into my room. It was a late school night. or Well, it was late enough to be a school night. I remember he said, hey, put your boots on. Yes, I did own boots at one time. Put your boots on. We're going out back. Come on. And behind our house, we had a pasture. And there was cows. And there was a barbed wire fence. And my mom had one rule. Don't go through the barbed wire fence. My dad is taking me, and we're walking up to the fence, and he opens up the barbed wire. I'm like, oh, mom, I wouldn't want this to happen, right? And I, I remember walking through, and I was smiling ear to ear because it was this adventure my dad was taking me on. And we end up in a field full of stars. And as we're in this field of stars, I remember I smelled the fresh grass. And then I quickly walked a little bit and smelled the fresh manure that I was stepping in <laughs> in the cow pasture. And what's funny is I actually remember looking down and trying to avoid the cow patties that were everywhere. And isn't it funny how we will look at the crap instead of see the creator? But I was staring down, right? And I'm walking, and he takes me by the hand and ends up at this spot. And he has one of those old school telescopes. You know what I'm talking about? Like a big one. And I'd never seen one before. I remember he walks up, he goes, stop. I want you to look up. Look at these stars. Look how amazing they are. God made these. Look how awesome this is. And I remember feeling like, whoa. And then he goes, all right, now look in the telescope. And I remember I looked into the telescope, and what I saw was the planet Mars. And I thought, whoa, there's a whole other world. And I remember he told me, he said, God is that big. When I laid my head on that pillow that night as an elementary school boy, I remember thinking, I am so small. But God is that big. 
And I had this sense of wonder, this awe inside me that I knew there was something more I was made for. This awe, that's what it does in you. If you're so focused on the worry, you miss out on the wonder. So when's the last time that you sat on your back porch and you watched the sunset and you just smiled? You didn't look at your phone. You were just enjoying what you saw. When's the last time you sat on the beach and listened to the waves just echo the glory of God? When's the last time you sat and looked at the stars? They're beautiful here in Auburn. When's the last time you sat and just looked at them instead of looking at a screen inside your house? So we have to get back to wonder to understand this big God that we serve that's so holy, yet somehow wants a relationship with me. So that's number one. Point number two is this. Let God turn your woes into worship. Let God turn your woes into worship. And yes, all of them will start with the letter W, and they're all going to be alliterations because that's what the pastor is supposed to do. Okay, so let God turn your woes into worship. Here's what I've noticed. We skip woe and go straight to worship, or we never get to worship because we stay in woe. And what I mean by that is I know for me personally, my tendency is to skip the woe, and I go straight to worship. And a pastor has helped me understand this recently about myself, is that I'm more worried about my perceived holiness than my practical holiness. It means that I'm more worried about what you guys think of me standing up here. I want to project to you guys that I'm good, that I'm humble, that I know the word of God, that I do all these things right because I'm a pastor, right? That's what I'm supposed to do, right? Before I know it, I start projecting an image and I forget who I am. I know for me, this is my worry. I, I try to jump straight to worship, but the point is for me to say, no, whoa, God, you are so glorious. You are so holy. You are so magnificent. And I want to be holy. I don't want to just project holy. I want to be holy. So do you in your life right now, are you more tempted to project holy or actually live to be holy? If you skip the woe, that's what happens. You have to remember who you are in the sight of a holy God. But also, i got to be honest, we have a lot of cynics in the room probably and a lot of, you think of the worst case scenario all the time. Here's what's also true. You don't need to give up. Because if you stay in woe, you'll never get to worship. And, and Isaiah goes from what? Woe is me to what? His lips were cleansed, which means he could now join in the song. Holy, holy, holy. See, if you stay in the woe, you'll start to believe the lie that you need to give up. Which brings me to our last point. Let God turn your wounds into witness. Let, your, let God turn your wounds into witness. See, all of us have gone through so many hard things. And if I went around again in the room, we talked about your sin, your shame, your mistakes, your regret, your guilt, all of the things that you have gone through. You know what you need? And I need a touch from heaven. We need the God who would send a live coal to send the living Christ. And some of us who have accepted Jesus into our hearts and we've been living from that freedom, we've been healed, we've been cleansed. But guess what? Who is Isaiah? Isaiah had his lips cleansed, but there was a burning of the coal that burned away, that purified. And then what did Isaiah do? Isaiah is a prophet. What that means is that Isaiah is called to speak for God. We are literally reading Isaiah's book in the eternal word of God, which means that the live coal that purified him, that wounded him maybe, is where his witness comes from. So some of you in this room right now, you have been living from your wounds instead of ascribing God wonder. You've been living from your past mistakes, your past regret, all of the things that you feel like God doesn't want you anymore because of it. 
And he's saying, I'm going to use you through it. See, what does Isaiah say? He said, here am I. Send me. You know what else Isaiah says? I'm going to put on the screen, Isaiah 7. This is the chapter after. Isaiah, the one who was just cleansed in the presence of a holy God. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel or God with us. The place where the live coal met his lips is the place where the Messiah message will come from. This is the man, Isaiah, who shows the son of suffering, the Messiah that will come. The fact that Jesus will walk among us. This is what's so crazy. You want to know who God is? You want to know who God really is? God is the one who can be seated on the throne and decide to come down to get us. Because if you want to know what happened, Jesus actually later on tells us in John. This is what happens. Read it in John chapter 12. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. You want to know who was sitting on that throne? Jesus. You want to know who is the one that's worthy of it all? The one who the, the people in the seraphim are seeing holy, holy, holy is? It's Jesus. You know what's amazing? Is that all of the seraphim who are worshiping him, who can't even look at him, who are covering their feet, watch as Jesus gets up from his throne, gets up from his seat, and takes off the royal robe and puts on human flesh to come down to this earth, to walk in life to live among people who are broken, to live a life that's perfect and sinless. And then he becomes the perfect atoning sacrifice as he hung on the cross. See, Jesus left the throne room of heaven to come back, to be high and lifted up on a cross so he could come back and get you and get me. And now we have the opportunity to witness to others the story that I've been healed. This is so crazy that I'm the one talking up here. Like I'm the one, like, I got something to say. No, I don't. I have nothing to say. I can tell you about all the sin I can tell you about all the struggles. I can tell you about all the times I've messed up. I can tell you about all the different moments where I shouldn't be the guy standing up here. But God has called me to stand here and tell you that he's worth it. He's worthy of it all. He's holy, deserving of all praise. Paul says it like this. Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Lord, our Father. This is good news because you and I deserved none of it. But God is holy and made a way. So God is purely holy and perfectly loved. God, in his divine, sovereign will, somehow made it to where you and I can actually be restored to him. And our only requirement is acknowledgement and a repentance of the fact that we are nothing without him. Faith is simply demerited favor. It's not unmerited. It's demerited. It means we didn't deserve any of it. He did it all. Faith is just saying, God, you have done it all. So here's what I'm believing. 
I'm believing that some of you for the first time will see that Jesus is worth it instead of your sin. Jesus was nailed to a cross. He was the living sacrifice for all of us. But guess what? He's coming back as a conquering king. And in the end, he wins. Jesus wins your story. He wins my story. And all he requires of us is admitting the fact that we are nothing apart from him. And you know what I do in response to that kind of God? Here I am. Here am I. Send me. So we're going to take some time right now. Isaiah used all of the senses, and we want to activate some of our senses as well. So we're going to take communion. You can go ahead and grab your communion set. And if you don't have one, you can just raise your hand, and we'll come get some to you. We believe that the word of God is living and active. I believe that some of you in this room have never really understood the power of who God really is. That God is not who I think he is, but he's who the God, God is who the Bible says he is. And so I'm just believing right now that as we take communion together and as we worship together, I've been asking the Holy Spirit all week to convict some of you of sin. Some of you need to repent of a low view that you have of God. Some of you need to see God for the first time and say, I give you my life. I'm asking the Holy Spirit to move in this time. But as you take communion, I want you to picture one thing. I want you to picture the throne room of heaven from Isaiah 6. I want you to picture the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy. And I want you to picture that same God getting up, Jesus, and coming and hanging on a cross. And I want your senses to be awakened to the fact that this isn't just something I'm saying. This isn't some far off book that we read. This is reality, the deepest truth of the reality that we actually see in the scriptures. And it's the throne room of heaven. So let me pray us into communion and then we'll take some time to worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you that where there was no way, you made a way. I thank you for the fact that even now, I know that there are stories you are rewriting. God, I thank you for the power of your word, that it's sufficient, that it's enough. I thank you that some of the people who raised their Bibles up will see you this year like never before. And I'm believing that in faith. So Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice in my place. I thank you that I am nothing apart from you. I thank you that I have life because of you. I thank you for the very breath in my lungs as I speak. So Father, I pray right now, you would come in glory. Your Holy Spirit would move and soften hearts. Father, I pray that you would continue to make us an obedient people. We're sorry for the way that we've looked at sin and accepted it. We're sorry for our low view of you. We're sorry for the fact that we don't see that you are holy all the time because of our sin. So Father, right now I pray in Jesus' name that you would resurrect hearts. In fact, if you do not believe in Jesus, this is the best moment. June 5th, you got a touch from heaven. God touched your wounds. God touched the deepest parts of you that you thought he could not touch. I pray right now that you just say the simple prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. You'll never be the same. On Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit went out and he's here now. So Father, I pray you continue to build up your church. You continue to move hearts. You continue to receive the worship and habit the praise that we will say in just a moment. And Father, I thank you that you left the throne room so you could take us back. We give you all the worship and glory. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Take this time to pray with your family.